0: All right, gentlemen, welcome back to the Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungamak, and this is officially the beginning of the fifth month that we've been on the air. Five months ago, the Gird Up Podcast was just a dream, and I was just a guy with a computer and a soundboard trying to get something online. And now we've come so far, and we've done so many exciting things. And I want to take this chance to look back at some of what we've learned, some of what we've done, some of the wisdom we've gleaned from the men around us, and uh, think about how far we've come. So here we go. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Ungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, guys, we're going to start it off by kicking away, way, back to the Kevin Festerling interview. Now, this is the first interview that I did for the Gird Up podcast. I was super nervous about it. He came over to the kitchen and we all sat down and we took a picture because it was such an important, momentous moment. And uh, man, it would turn out to be just a load of fun. Uh, Kevin is a guy that I respect a ton. He's a mentor to me, both in my teaching career and personal life. And he's he's been around for some of the most important days um, in my ministry and I think the thing I respect about him the most is being able to watch him father his two children and be a husband to his wife. And uh, I think in this clip we're about to listen to, you will understand kind of what I'm saying uh, when I say that someday I hope I am the kind of father that Kevin is. Not that he's perfect, and he even talks about that a little bit, how he isn't a perfect father, but his ability to work with his children and mentor his own children and make sure that he has a loving relationship with them and continues to reflect the love of Christ in their relationship with each other, I think is just absolutely phenomenal. And someday I hope uh, I can learn from his example when I'm dealing with my own children when I have them someday. I love it every time I hear it. Uh, he just continues to make me a better man. And uh, there's another guy that also talked about parenting and hit it right on the head. I think it's v- Vince Husek, uh, my bearded brother. If you remember his story, he talked a lot about his battle with leukemia. But this was, came from the end of the end of the interview when he was talking about his relationship with his son and watching his son grow up. And uh, he had some really cool insights about masculinity and our relationship to God and our place in this world in this clip.
1: The nice thing about that, though, that's really interesting is that every once in a while I catch myself in this uh, conversation where I am uh, basically explaining like attributes of of God, and I'm learning a bunch about how the world works and my place in it, explaining his place in it to him. Because uh, he's in this spot where like, he wants all the toys for himself, wants all the cars to himself, and mine mm-hmm. is, the, uh, is the buzzword of the month. And I explained to him once the other day that I said, look around. Everything you see after he looked around belongs to daddy. And so when you tell your little brother mine and you push him, you you can't do that because all the cars and all the ramps and all the trains and all the books and all the couch and the TV and the stuff in the kitchen and in the bedroom and the house, all this is daddy's.
0: Simba, everything the light touches belongs to us. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. But belongs specifically to me. Yeah. And so you need to understand your place in this. And your place is not to say mine. Your place is to understand that daddy owns this all. And if Lincoln, if your little brother wants to play with it, he can play with it. And you don't take it away, and you don't say mine, and you don't push him down. And I was thinking about that going, and my wife was off to the side going, and all of it belongs to God, actually, not to Daddy. And I said, yes, yeah, that, that's right. But one, <laughs> but I frustrate her sometimes with teacher talk because I said, listen, one lesson at a time. Listen. He's, he's two. That's correct. You're right, dear wife, and I love you for that. Thank you for being there to, to check my pride. But this lesson isn't about my pride. This lesson's about right. letting yeah. this young man know where his place is in the order. Mm. And as I was doing that, I had this stirring up in me to go like, "And dad, you don't own any of this. This all is your father's, and wow. he gives you access to it. And when you look around at the world you see around you, and your children, and your house, and your job, and dare I say, your health, oh, you, yeah, for sure. You ought to say, This isn't mine. I better not push and say mine and hold with these tight hands. Because this all belongs to my father and I ought to understand my right place in that. And I don't think that you really get that grasp without being in a conversation where you're explaining to somebody, no, 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 this isn't yours. And that's been uh, absolutely just revolutionary in the way that I see the world through being a dad.
0: Wow I love that you can hear me chuckling in the background after he finished that statement. It was just so incredibly powerful. <laughs> it was, he speaks with authority um, on the subject of parenting and he's doing a great job in growing growing every day. I appreciate watching him with his sons all the time. Um, the other thing that I, I really admire about him is his incredible faith. When we first met each other, um, I can honestly say I, did, I didn't have a whole lot of respect for him. And we both had a lot of growing up to do, and uh, I look at him now, and I do have an incredible respect for Vince Husek, uh, in particular because of his just amazing, outstanding faith and his ability to look at any situation, particularly his illness, and say, this is a blessing from God. This is God working through me in my life and putting me exactly where I need to be to serve him as his child.
1: People have... You know, bought into this uh, kind of sterilized view of like there's something out there in the cosmos, quote unquote, uh, and and really have uh, taken away some of the power uh, that belongs to the the God that of, of the God of the Bible, um, and so I had some time. Uh, throughout my life but specifically there to really kind of investigate some of those claims uh, of about who God is Um, and the the journey that I was on in the investigation and the and the reading and the thought that I kind of came around to is that at the end of the day if we believe uh in the god of the bible and we we read it rightly and we understand him correctly uh, we have to come away with the understanding that his plan for my life is better than my plan for my life full stop there are no questions there His plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. And if my plan was better, I would be God. That's the, that's the fundamental presupposition there. Like if my plan is the best plan in the universe, then I ought to be God. And if it's not the best plan in the universe, then that means something, something else is above that and So if God's plan is better than my plan, then that means if I'm here in this bed with leukemia, face-to-face with the possibility of death, then that is better than what I would have written for me as my plan. And I don't understand that, and most of the time I don't like that. But that doesn't change the fact that His plan is better than my plan and he is, uh, the overarching, uh, structure for our world. And there is a lot of opportunity to not find joy in that there's not much peace, uh, unless I think you really fully understand that and believe that and want to be uh, in submission to God and if you are and I was then you come to this point where you go well wait a second I don't I don't understand this I don't see the purpose right now but I'm a a finite being. And just like I look at my son and say, daddy owns all of this. You don't get to say mine and push your brother. Now I, the lens is flipped and I have to go. God's got all of this. You're part of his plan. And You don't get to say mine to your health, to your family, to your career. You're part of this and your job is bring me glory. And that's not a concept that like, The 21st century American, let alone the 21st century church, but the 21st century American rejects that concept out of hand and says, give me the glory. Uh, The Christian faith and the the God of the Bible disagree. And they say, give him the glory. We are made to bring him glory. And where we fit in the story of uh, the world is in position to bring glory to him. And if that means that I die, then that's a better ending and it's a better story than I would have written for myself. Uh, and I don't know and I don't know why that is, but I'm not the author and so it's not my job to know why that is. And there is something about that that frees a person up on a level that is not comprehensible to the average person uh, because you just understand where you fit and can let go of a lot of the garbage that we hold on to.
0: Now, one thing... All these guys talked about in their respective interviews is their father. And now their relationship with their father shaped who they are now. And, and most of them talked about just how incredibly blessed they were to have good fathers. And I love in this, in this interview with Mark Paustian how he talks about his, his own father reading a book and just being an example of a knowledgeable man. And then even talking about the quality of preaching that comes from a man who is reading versus a man who chooses not to read. Um, and he talks a lot about knowledge and growth and how that plays out in your masculinity. In this clip, there's obviously a thirst for knowledge there, and and uh, you well you wouldn't keep going back to school and keep learning and keep writing if there wasn't something there. Do you want to speak to that a little bit?
2: Sure. I guess I um <clears throat> I grew up uh, uh, in a parsonage. My dad was a pastor, and he had a Wall full of books, just like we have surrounding us here in my office, yes, just yeah. walls of books and I think that image of a man with a book while a house is asleep and steaming coffee at his side and so on is just a powerful one to me i i c s Lewis talks about the um, how a person how a man in his context he said how a man impoverishes himself when he unnecessarily impoverishes himself when he confines himself to his own narrow thinking and he doesn't doesn't know the experience of reading a profound book and spending that twenty hours in the thought of another mm. person who is ahead of us that's so to speak on the path, you know. He said, We we need to see with other eyes, you know, than just our own. And he says, I never transcend myself or more myself than when I do. So I, to me, it's um, just what a poor man I'd be without just uh, a set of writers, it comes to my mind. And so I think in particular, I wasn't a great student, so I, I, I think I discovered this mostly as a pastor in a parish that they need to stand up and have something to say to people and have it be not stale but fresh. You know, my my dad would say, you can tell a pastor from one who reads from one who doesn't read just by just by the freshness of their thoughts and expressions by their love for words by a whole set of things and so my my drive i think for lifelong learning is really mostly rooted now in the demands of of what people are expecting me to be able to talk about or help them with so to speak okay so if i'm reading apologetics it's because i've got you know, forty young men that expect I should know something about yeah, apologetics. Yeah. And I'm r- I'm reading everything I can right now about worship because I've been asked to write a book of devotions to come out with a new hymnal eventually about worship. So it's largely driven by that mm. as well. I mean the particular um shape of my calling that just drives me to know just really to know what I need to know about. Yeah. Um, communication, apologetics, preaching, worship, thats those are my current things. So,
0: Now, there is not a man that I can honestly say I respect more than Professor Mark Paustian. Now, there, there's several men who I respect just as much, but there is not a man I respect more. And the reason for that is he lives his life the way he preaches others ought to, and he is very in tune, incredibly in tune, with his relationship with his Savior. And he knows exactly who he wants to be and who he ought to be. And uh, he lives out the masculinity that he reads about in scripture. And here he's going to talk about Boaz. And I just think it's fascinating. This is probably the clip of any podcast that I personally have gone back and listened to the most. I've probably listened to this Bo- section about Boaz five or six times just on my own because the words are so impactful for me and uh, it's so important for me to remember my place in this picture as a teacher. I'm not, I'm not a warrior who's going out to fight every day. I am not a uh, you know, police officer. I'm not currently a dad. I'm, I'm not a husband. And this helps me reframe my own masculinity into an appropriate box if you will um and uh make sure i'm living it out on a daily basis gives me a good model to follow
2: if there's ever a guy in the bible that is described as a real man do you want to guess i uh, there's one guy who's described as in a very vivid term I'm, i'm thinking about boaz actually so wow yeah boaz in the book of ruth it's He's described in Hebrew as Ish Gabor Chayel. So Ish is man. Gabor is kind of mighty. Yeah. Sort of like David and Goliath were the Gabor. So they represent their armies in the yeah. field of battle. And so that's kind of the mightiness of Gabor. And Chayel is like strength or army. And so so Boaz is, is described as this mighty man of valor. with just a uh-huh. really rich expression. But then you say, what does that mean for Boaz? Um... Up to his time in the Bible, that term would have described warriors. It really would have been the warrior. And that doesn't fit Boaz. He wasn't a soldier. It's not what he was. Yeah. Um, some think, well, that phrase can also sort of attach to someone that's supremely wealthy. And Boaz was probably done okay financially. He had servants. Yeah. Um, but theres not there aren't a lot of other indications that that's who he was. It so some would say that Boaz is sort of a one story that kind of redefines uh-huh. he's described as a real man and so what is that profile um and it's Boaz it's a lot of things it's Boaz who who steps up to take care of this family of Ruth and Naomi um Boaz who seems to intuit what the god of the covenant faithful God of Israel would want to happen even though the situation went way beyond anything the law prescribes he yeah. just understood what God would want to happen and it, so what that Moses didn't say it had to be a certain way he steps up as the redeemer of that family and and takes takes the disaster of this little family of Naomi and Ruth and just takes responsibility for it yeah. and he makes it his and he and there's uh, I don't know it and a resourcefulness to Boaz and an attentiveness. Who He prays for Ruth, you know, may she find shelter under the wings of the Lord. And then the second he's done praying, he goes to work for her, making all that happen. So I think that it would be an interesting profile of the redefining of what a man is in that book in a certain, yeah. in a certain way. And it's something about in tune with the faithfulness of God, Ready to step up and be faithful himself to the needs that are um, unveiled around him, and he also has a way of speaking. So Boaz too has that. Uh, there's just a total unconscious, yeah, unconscious piety to Boaz. That he opens his mouth and he's praying. He opens his mouth yeah. and he's speaking, blessing on somebody or other, in just a really unconscious, unselfconscious kind of way. So wow, yeah, um. Awesome, that was excellent, oh okay, <laughs> that was
0: excellent um yeah, I
2: like that a lot, okay, cool.
0: there's,
2: there's more I'm sure but yeah, yeah
0: now, most of the time when we talk about Boaz and we study boaz uh it's more about his relationship with Ruth, and uh that brings us around then to to marriage, and all these guys also talked about marriage and we talked about dating or marriage or both in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but I think my favorite conversation in the marriage department was with my my buddy, Nick Cresson. Now, Nick is the closest thing to a brother I have. He and Chester are family to me, and uh, I really have enjoyed watching him grow as a man, particularly as a husband, uh, with his wife, Heather. And here in this clip, he's going to talk about his journey to become a better husband, become a better man, and to grow up a little bit. And <laughs> You can even listen to him, and you can hear the emotion in his voice because he really, truly is being genuine and talking about his his struggles and some of his pitfalls, but also some of his great victories in his first three years of marriage to his beautiful wife.
3: In marriage, the Bible says uh, that that husbands wives should submit to their husbands. That doesn't mean a wife has to is is at the beck and call of her husband to to be his maid or whatever else that, that is not what that passage in scripture means, means at all. Uh, but, and also that the, the husband needs to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And if you think about what God, what Jesus did for, for the church, for his people and totally sacrificing himself, I think the sacrificial side on the, for the husband is almost more so than the wife, when you really take into take a look into the instructions that God gives to a man and how he is supposed to act inside of a relationship toward his wife, who he has promised to love unconditionally, no matter what. And and I mean that sacrifice is, is in time, which I know I, I don't always do, and I'm still getting getting better in that and trying to, to remember it. And life gets busy and And there, but there are no excuses, even though my, my brain is always throwing them at me and Mm -hmm. just like, oh, this like, I'm tired tonight. Uh, I don't want to do this housework. I don't want to go to the grocery store. I don't, don't, don't want to put in the, the effort that it's going to take to do the things that need to be done. But Jesus didn't give it in temptation because he was tired because he, he loved us to the point where he was going to, to work. And, and to do everything that he needed to do, uh, out of love for us. So, so that's, that's what God calls us to do. And, and that's what more and more I'm, I know I'm striving toward and, and thinking about and, but it's hard. And I know I'm not, not good at it right now in my young marriage going on almost three years. And I'm just just, just keep being patient, babe. I'm going to, I'm going to keep working at it because she deserves it. She deserves it.
0: I don't think you're ever going to hear a more genuine thought, a more genuine reflection than, than his, she deserves it at the end of that statement there. Just so cool. Um, now on my way up to New Ulm to interview Nick, I got to stop in lacrosse and interview a good friend and one of the men that helped raise me, Mr. Larry Clark. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that Larry did pass away. Uh, but I got to spend one last afternoon with Larry and hear a couple of Larry's uh, <laughs> favorite stories or my favorite Larry stories one more time. So here are those those stories. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. Anybody that knows Mr. Clark has a favorite Mr. Clark story. Oh jeez. So before I let you go, I want to hear – there's two stories I want to hear. Um, both of them have to do with animals. I think you know what they already are. I want to hear the story about the bull – and I want to hear the story about the skunk. No.
4: <laughs> One night on the south end of La Crosse, we had a uh, meat processing mm-hmm. place. This farmer had brought up an 1,800-pound bull to be processed into meat for him. It got loose. <laughs> it was on the south end of La Crosse, terrorizing the <laughs> neighborhoods. So we got there. We, first of all, my partner and I tried to... to corner it. That didn't work. Bull had other ideas. So we we decided it had to come down. We had to put it down. And the owner and the meat processing place were not coming out. They would not come out and assist us. So we grabbed a shotgun. Now a police shotgun at the time, the first round was a slug. Then it was buckshot. Okay. Then it was a slug. It alternated in the tube. So I went and I I got up on top of the squad car because that's where he chased me, <laughs> and I I put a round in the barrel, slug right? Yeah. No, it was buckshot. All <laughs> I did was make that bull angry. <laughs> so I thought, all right, the next one is a slug. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop a lung. I'm gonna hit him in the chest, pop a lung, another round of buckshot. Now he's <laughs> really angry <laughs> with me. So he, but he he figures that the neighborhood is. This is a dangerous place to be. So he walked away, and I followed him. And he was, by now, he was limping pretty good. He was slowing down. Yeah. And he turned around and faced me. So I pulled out my 357, and I was going to head shoot him. Yeah. And I put one right under the horns. Yeah. He never flinched. (laughs) He looked at me, and he lowered his head and snorted, and then he started (laughs) pawing the dirt. And I thought, Oh, my gosh! Now I'm going to know how a matador feels, <laughs> and so I put five more into him, and then he dropped. Uh, <laughs> the owner of the bull sued us unsuccessfully, but uh
0: for shooting his bull,
4: yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, so i hey Clark, are you shooting the bull lately? every day I <laughs> work so, <laughs> so the lawnmower caper this was this was truly funny and. I'm a member of Rotary, and when I was awarded the Paul Harris Fellow, my award letter included the fact about the lawnmower. (laughs) One afternoon, nice summer day, sunny summer day, guy calls. He's got one of these tin, metal, old Montgomery Ward sheds in the backyard. There's a skunk in there. (laughs) So standing out in the daylight looking into an unlit shed, yep, there it is. What do you want me to do? Shoot it. It's going to spray. I'll deal with the spray. Just shoot it. (laughs) So taking careful aim, standing in the sunlight, getting a good sight picture, (laughs) aiming it into the shed, I squeeze off a shot. All you heard was metal separating. I had shot the carburetor (laughs) off his new lawnmower. The skunk sprayed and left. <laughs> the guy is standing there with a deer in the headlights stare. My partner had who had come over was you know, just because it was a quiet day, is on the ground in laughter. <laughs> and he walks over and he goes puts his arm around the guy and says, You know, last month my partner won the state pistol shoot. <laughs> the guy without flinching said, Yeah. What was he shooting at? Lawnmowers. <laughs> so we tucked our tail between <laughs> our legs and left. About two weeks later, the chief of police, who was a member at my church and a dear friend, uh, comes down <laughs> to line up, and he says, "Sergeant, may I uh, may I address the troops?" Sure, chief. Well, we all know the kind of success that. That Officer Clark has had with <laughs> pistol competition. And he says we're we're very proud of him, very proud of him. And he's and he's won many, many, many awards that, that we're all very proud of. But he's never won this award. <laughs> he had placked the bill the city had to pay <laughs> for the lawnmower. And he presented it to me. <laughs>
0: now, like I said, uh right after we recorded that podcast, only a couple of days later, Larry did pass away. Uh, from an accident that happened pretty close after we finished that interview, uh, and I can't be more thankful that I got to spend one more day with him. Not just because selfishly, <laughs> I I love the man and 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 love spending time with him, but also because we got to record those stories and in that interview, and it was such a tremendous source of strength for a whole lot of people uh, after Larry after Larry passed, and he meant a whole lot to a whole lot of people. Um, and I, I eulogized him a little bit uh, on the podcast just because he meant so much to me. Mr. Larry Clark passed from this life on March 14th, 2018, about two weeks after we did this interview, and I'm so happy and so thankful that I got to share one last afternoon with him, to deliver him one last pastrami sandwich, (laughs) to shake his hand one more time, drink his terrible coffee, and swap some stories, and I know he was a huge influence on a lot of people, but... I, O'Leary, thank you. Thank you for all the sandwiches <laughs> you bought me over the years. Thank you for protecting myself and my family and the lacrosse community as we slept. Thank you for having candy in your desk and for paying us in Cokes when we would take the bulletins off the copy machine. Thanks for teaching me how to work hard and showing me how to stack wood. Thank you for letting us crash at your house on the way back and forth from Minnesota. Thank you for letting us sled in your front yard. Thanks for telling stories non-stop. Thanks for all the adventures that ended with you saying, no, don't tell your mom about this. <laughs> but most of all, thank you for loving all of us with a full heart. <laughs> God bless you, Larry. I look forward to seeing you again. Sharing a pastrami sandwich on rye. Swapping stories. <laughs> and singing eternal praises. Have a good one, Larry. We'll miss you. Now, gentlemen, this brings me to the reason I started this podcast in the first place. Mr. Larry Clark uh, was a huge influence on me because he knew who he was as a man of God and knew where he was going. He talked about that in depth during our podcast interview. If you go back and listen to it, he knew exactly where he was going to end up on the day he died. And the, the reason it was so tough for so many of us when he left us was because he had been such an incredible influence. And when I look at men like Larry, I look at men like my father and my grandfathers, and my great grandfathers, men like my teachers and principals growing up, some of my professors in college. The reason I respect them so much is because they have continued to grow as men throughout their entire lives. They continue to push themselves and that's why I started this podcast, because I wanted to be like them. I wanted to have these conversations with them, meaningful conversations where I could learn what I need to know in order to be a man of God like they are. And so as I've gone through this podcast, obviously I've gotten better at interviews. If you listen to the first interviews compared to the latest interviews, I've gotten much better at that. If you listen to some of the first podcasts, I would argue some of them are even foolishness, and the only reason I leave them up, I'm a little embarrassed of them, the only reason I leave them up is because Paul says to Timothy, let people see your progress as you grow. And so I hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts as you come up. I hope that they continue to be enriching for you. Uh, I'm going to keep making them no matter what, because they're so incredibly enriching for me. And if I can share with you three things I've learned or that have been um, just reaffirmed in me as I've gone through this first five months of doing a podcast, I would say number one, you got to be intentional about growing. I didn't realize just how stale my life was and how I had kind of reached a stalemate in my progress until I took a risk and went out and bought a couple microphones and started a podcast. I, I've become a better man because A, I want to live out what I'm teaching. Like I, I want to live out what I'm telling you guys how to do. I'm not just going to talk to talk. I'm going to do everything I can to walk the walk as well. B, I'm thinking about being, and I'm really intentional about growing because of this podcast. Like every day, I have conversations with men who are saying, This is what you need to do, this is where you need to go. And to tie into that, I've got really good relationships. With some really strong men, better relationships than I've ever had before, because I'm having these intentional conversations and really digging down to the soul level and the heart level, and talking about what makes us men and what makes us men of God and what makes us what makes us tick, but also what brings us closer to our heavenly Father, and that's something that every man ought to have. That's that's what it means to build your community, to build your band of brothers or your tribe or whatever you want to call it. You got to build it, and this is the most intentional way for me to do so. Second, I would tell you, you got to go start start something new and add some value to the world. Maybe you're not going to start a podcast. That's fine. There's only so many people that can start a podcast, but maybe you're going to go coach a basketball team and teach some boys how to be men. Maybe you're going to go join acquire and just have an influence on the community around you. Maybe you're going to take your gifts and you're going to start mowing lawns for little old ladies free of charge. I don't know what it is that you're going to do, but you need to build something and add some value to the world. Um, It's just so cool to think about the fact that I've got people all over the world tuning in to listen to my humble musings on being a man. Shout out to you guys who are listening in Great Britain and Sweden and Australia and New Zealand and and France and all over the world. It's super cool um, that I can record something in my living room in Milwaukee and that the Lord continues to bless that work. Like he promises, the rain and the snow fall from heaven and don't return to the heavens without accomplishing their purpose. Man, the Lord's words also do not return to him without accomplishing their purpose. And he's using me as his tool to share the gospel pretty cool and number three wait for the lord all things take time i can't tell you how many different projects i started i can't tell you how many different ideas i had that all fell apart and (laughs) like thomas edison said he found a million different ways to fail (laughs) well i found about a bajillion different ways to not serve my heavenly father I found so many different ways that the Lord didn't want me to serve him. And finally, he let one of these doors stay open for me and let me run through it. And now I've got a podcast. I've got a brand. And we're continuing to grow. And more and more people are listening every day. And I think that's super cool. So I would ask you to continue to encourage me by doing what we ask you to do every every episode. Go ahead and share this podcast with people you know and people you care about. Give me feedback. Send me emails. Shoot me a text. Uh, Send me a Facebook message or messenger or whatever it is nowadays, or an Instagram message. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Join the Gird Up community. Uh, You're going to have to answer a couple questions, but you'll get in. Um, Man, there's so many different ways for you to stay connected, and I can't wait to continue to learn from you. Also, if there's somebody that you want to hear an interview with, if you want me to go out and interview somebody in particular, shoot me their name and their phone number, and and I'll go get a hold of them. We can interview them. If you have something you want to talk about, hit me up, man. Let me know, and we can get it on the podcast. But most of all, never stop growing. Never stop pushing the boundaries and pushing your own limits and uh, becoming greater and greater men because we need them. We're going through an incredibly tough time, as a society and uh, the foundation of that i believe is is our loss of masculinity and our loss of god and i believe those two things are tied very closely together if we want to grow closer to god we got to know god and the better we know god the better men we're going to be and so that's my encouragement to you today go do something take a risk um, and build some relationships with some people add some value to the world and gird up because there's a lot of work ahead of us and there's a lot of work that we've already done. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at time to gird up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U N G E M A C H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four and five star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the man that God has created us to be. Have a good one.